Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Live from New York, I'm Julia Chatterley. This is First Move, and here's your need to know. Criminal conduct, arrests in Hong Kong under the new national security law. COVID uncontrolled, Dr. Fauci warns the U.S. could see 100,000 cases a day. And Boeing backlash, new report says the playmaker kept key information from regulators. It's Wednesday, let's make a move. Welcome once again to First Move as we kick off the second half of 2020 after an extremely challenging start to the year, to say the least. One thing is certain, we'll be right here on First Move to help you make sense of it all if we can. Also here to help us on the path today, former UN Secretary General Ban Ki-moon with his views on Hong Kong, on North Korea, and what a sustainable recovery from COVID-19 should look like. Lessons learned. But first, as always, a look at U.S. futures were softer after one and a half percent gains yesterday, a strong finish for the quarter. Investors, I think, taking Dr. Fauci's grim COVID warning in their stride, comforted by a reminder from Jay Powell and Secretary Mnuchin yesterday that yet more help for the economy is on the way. On that note, in a surprise move too, the U.S. Senate voted to extend the Paycheck Protection Scheme loans to small businesses for a further month last night. A smart move, I have to say, in my view, with a recent survey from the National Federation of Independent Business saying two-thirds of borrowers could have used up all the loan money already. And of course, the economy, anything but normal, more help for many of those businesses will be required. Now, speaking of jobs, the private sector added some 2.4 million jobs last month, a hint that payrolls here in the U.S. tomorrow could be strong too. Remember, we're expecting 3 million further job gains. Most of the gains, in fact, in that report coming precisely from small businesses. So that program looking hugely important, as we've discussed in the past. To Germany now, the unemployment rate rising to a five-year high, but manufacturing there moving closer to expansion. In Asia, the stock market performance was mixed. In Japan, the Tankan survey showed business confidence falling to an 11-year low. Meanwhile, in South Korea, factory activity fell for a sixth straight month. The challenges of export-driven economies coping the current slowdown. Now, all eyes remain on Asia, of course, focused on Hong Kong, where a tough new security law has just gone into effect. And that's where we begin today's drivers. Police in Hong Kong making their first arrests under the law. At least nine people were arrested amid protests earlier today on suspicion of violating that law. Anna Corrin is live in Hong Kong for us. Anna, we also need to underscore the importance of what July 1st is. It's Establishment Day, the handover day that's been celebrated since 1997. Talk us through what we saw today in terms of action and those arrests. 
Yeah, Julia, it's certainly a day of celebration for the Chinese regaining control of Hong Kong, but it's also typically a day of protest. Well, when protesters ask to have a permit to, to carry out a march that they've been doing since 1997, they were denied. And I can tell you that despite that, thousands of people turned out onto the streets today and more than 300 have been arrested. You mentioned the nine under the the new national security law. Uh, Some have been arrested behind me and you can probably see uh, just over my shoulder uh, police there with protesters handcuffed on the ground. Uh, A few moments ago, a big bus filled with protesters was just taken away, people who had also been arrested. Now, those who have been arrested under this new national security law, Julia, some of them were just holding signs. Some of them were handing out flyers that said independence for Hong Kong. That is now a criminal offence. If you chant slogans calling for freedom in Hong Kong, independence in Hong Kong, that is a criminal offence. It is such a stark contrast from what we have been seeing here in Hong Kong over the past year. Uh, But now with this new law that came into effect today, China is firmly in charge. And we heard from Hong Kong's chief executive, Carrie Lam. She said this new law is going to restore stability to Hong Kong. Uh, She is hoping that it will act as a deterrent um, rather than than having to to prosecute all these people. Here is another bus which will no doubt be taking more of these protesters uh, who've been arrested, taking them away. But, you know, (laughs) protesters have only been out on the streets since... uh, 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock this afternoon. To have arrested more than 300 of them is an extraordinary number and it just gives you an idea, Julia, uh, that, that they are tolerating no protests, no dissent whatsoever. I mean, the, the message from the Chinese side here has been, look, we are just specifically targeting a few troublemakers. And we saw in those protests that uh, last year in particular that some of them got violent here. But to your point, now that we understand what this law contains and what it means it gives the Chinese authorities huge scope here to step in and take very very controlled and detailed action yeah look we do know what the law is about it, it, it's banning sedition subversion uh, terrorism uh, as well as colluding with foreign forces terrorism Julia is vandalizing public property. That has now been the definition of what terrorism here is in Hong Kong. As for sedition and subversion, I mean, they are extremely vague and broad terms. Uh, so, so really, it's up to interpretation uh, and, and no doubt mainland uh, interpretation. Here we can see police taking away more of the protesters that they have arrested and, and you know we, we've seen their faces I mean you're talking about young young students young Hong Kongers who are calling for greater freedom something that they have been doing for the past year but now Julia that is a criminal offense now the maximum penalty I should should note for uh, this national security law being in breach of this national security law is life in prison and whilst most of the cases will come under Hong Kong jurisdiction the exceptional cases 
will be handed over to the Chinese. And the Chinese will also be operating a security agency now in Hong Kong. So it won't be just Hong Kong police making these arrests for those exceptional cases. It will be mainland secret police uh, who are now allowed to operate here in Hong Kong. So for protesters, it is absolutely terrifying. And those exceptional cases will be taken to the mainland where they will be tried. And if convicted, they will spend time in mainland jails. And, and you know, it, it, it's just ironic to think that this was what people in Hong Kong were fighting for this time last year over that extradition bill that had been proposed. Well, the, the, the fears of Hong Kongers have, have truly been realised because China doesn't just have that extradition bill, they have so much more. You cannot speak out against the CCP. You cannot uh, oppose them. Uh, and, and, and that is terrifying people here. If the aim is to, to fear and intimidate, it, it certainly is, is achieving that goal, except for the, the few that have taken to the streets today uh, to, to, to protest about this new law, Julia. Yeah, incredibly brave. And we were just seeing them there being put onto that bus. And it was, to your point, young people. There were girls. There were uh, all sorts of uh, very young individuals here that have taken a stand despite the risks and the potential high costs. Anna Karin, great to have you with us. So thank you so much for that. All right, let's move on. A stark warning from a leading member of the U.S. Coronavirus Task Force. Dr. Anthony Fauci says if the current trends continue, he wouldn't be surprised if the country goes up to 100,000 cases a day. He spoke at a Senate hearing on Tuesday. I'd have to say the numbers speak for themselves. I'm very concerned and I'm not satisfied with what's going on because we're going in the wrong direction. If you look at the curves of the new cases, Clearly, we are not in total control right now. Senior medical correspondent Elizabeth Cohen is with us. Elizabeth, we've talked about this now days after days, but this was, I think, Dr. Anthony Fauci being as alarmist as he felt he could be at this stage and saying the situation isn't under control and actually more actions needed now. Yes, absolutely, Julia. You know, in a way, when you hear Dr. Fauci's tone, he sounds very calm. I know Dr. Fauci well, and I know that he always tries to put out a tone of calm, but when you actually just listen to the words, this is quite serious, and his words are actually quite severe. He went on to say that right now we've got about 40,000 plus cases a day in the United States, and he's thinking that we could go up to 100,000. That is a huge jump. He is not saying this lightly. He's saying this looking at the numbers as they grow. In the United States, we now have 36 states, 36 out of 50 states are seeing spikes this week. Last week, it was only 23 states that were seeing spikes. That's an enormous jump in one week. So when Dr. Fauci says something, he is not being hyperbolic. He is doing it based on the data. Julia? Yeah, based on sheer concern. The Surgeon General also had some advice for Americans as well. I just want to play that for our viewers. Please, please, please wear a face covering when you go out in public. It is not an inconvenience. It is not a suppression of your freedom. It actually is a vehicle to achieve our goals 
Elizabeth, even Goldman Sachs weighing in yesterday and saying, look, you can help with the health crisis and you can perhaps help with the economy too and avoid shutdown if you just wear a mask. This has become so politicised and it's so nonsensical too. It is, Julia. I will have to say that I have tried to explain the reluctance to wear masks to friends of mine who are not from the United States, and they are completely confused. It is if I am trying to explain something preposterous to them. They say, why can't, why aren't, why is such a significant proportion of Americans resisting this? And so part of it is, as you said, it, it, it's really a political statement. It's as if wearing a mask is admitting that somehow you are wrong or Trump is wrong, that there's something in your soul that is wrong. And of course, that's not the case. We wear masks to protect the people we love and to protect the people we don't know. You wear a mask because if you're infected and you don't know it, and there's a, there's a reasonably good chance that you could be infected and not know it, you could get someone sick who gets someone sick who gets a child with leukemia sick and kills that child. Who would want to kill a child? No one would. But this has become so politically and emotionally charged. It is as if we are telling people, um, you're wrong, you're a bad person, wear a mask. Of course that's not what we're saying, but that is unfortunately how people are taking it. This has become really very personal and very emotional. Yeah, we have to take the emotion out of it. Just wear a mask. Elizabeth Cohen, thank you so much. We'll keep repeating it back and forth to each other and uh, no, at least we're listening. All right, for all the fears. Investors continue to look at the positives, it seems, setting aside rising health concerns in view of the enormous scale of stimulus that's already been provided and perhaps more to come too. We've now got the Nasdaq just 1% off record highs. The question is, what comes next in the second half of this year? Richard Quest joins me now. Richard, you've been too polite so far to uh, call me out on this because you called it. You called the lows of the markets and I remained incredibly nervous and remain so. But what do we think happens next? And it's a balance between stimulus and science, I think, as we've discussed all along. It's more of the same. And the reason is the Fed put. The Fed, has, as long as the Fed is fueling the market with cheap money, it continues to rise because, <coughs> excuse me, two reasons, Julia. Firstly, uh, search for yield. There's no yield in money markets. There's no yield really in bonds. There's no yield. If you need to make yield, the only place to do it is in the market, uh, in the stock market. And, you know, when you, when you maybe get three, five, seven percent there, you could do even better. So that's going to push the risk premium up quite sharply. The second reason, of course, is that people, technology stocks are going to still be the future. Technology stocks are the way in which working from home, greater digitization, they are driving economic growth. You're seeing it as you see the Nasdaq powering forward. Everything else comes along in its wake. So I do think you're going to have a slow trudge in Q3, election time, no one wants to make waves. I do think Q4 gets very difficult because you're, you're based on earnings. Um, so, so I think more of the same. Now, can I, I, can I just take a second, if I may, Ms. Chatterley? Masks, masks, oh. masks. Goldman, You've got them before me. Go for Goldman, it. Yes. Goldman Sachs. Go on. I'll get you. You tell the story. No, no, you tell the story. I'll, I'll just sit comfortably in my chair. But <laughs> this, for me, is critical. 
All right. Goldman has pointed out <laughs> that masks can actually save 5% of GDP if used. And the way they've done it is they've looked at different metrics and they've worked out that if we don't use masks, there will de facto inevitably be lockdowns. Therefore, the price of not having those lockdowns is about 5% of G or the benefit, I should say, of not having more lockdowns is around 5% of GDP. It's a long 13 page report with formula that you would understand that I don't. But that's the nub of it. Oh, you're just being kind. But the key, the ultimate key for me here is a national mandate on wearing masks. Yes, ah, yes, yes. Yeah. It has to come from the top. National 15% rise or increase in the number of people wearing masks. Yes, I don't like to make I it political, but this is. I think that staggering, I think that staggering statistic of five percent GDP get, you know, is, is is saved, saved, right? Because there will be lockdowns otherwise by a national mandate. It's not going to happen. But any any right wing conservative who likes to live their life by the fiscal nature of probity can't ignore that particular fact. The fiscal nature of probity. I agree. Help on the crisis and help the economy at the same time. No brainer. Richard Quest, a pleasure. Always. All right, coming up later on in the show as Hong Kong faces a new Chinese reality, the former UN Secretary General Ban Ki-moon is here and we've got a pro-democracy campaigner on the ground to talk through their thoughts and what next too. And the CEO of the arts and crafts super site Etsy is on a tear right now as sellers face higher charges though. Can we ask, and we will ask, is it a stitch up? That's next, stay with us. Welcome back to First Move and a return to our top story today. Police in Hong Kong have made their first arrests under a new security law imposed on the territory by Beijing. It came as some Hong Kongers marked the anniversary of the former British Connolly's handover to China in 1997. Let's talk through this and more. Joining us is a former UN Secretary General Ban Ki-moon. So fantastic to have you on the show with us uh, this morning or this evening in your time. Great to be with you. Can I start by asking you your thoughts on what we're seeing in Hong Kong at this moment? Do you see this as the beginning of the end of the one country, two systems? I have been closely following up the situation, current situation, uh, what is happening in Hong Kong. Uh, what is important at this time, that Chinese government uh, should allow the Hong Kong status uh, within the uh, you know, one state, the two, uh, uh, two different uh, state, the two different regimes. Uh, Hong Kong has been one of the most important uh, commercial and economic uh, cities, and there has been a lot of uh, transactions and commercial activities and trade. And therefore, this kind of a free trade, free movement. Uh, should be uh, definitely allowed within the long-standing uh, tradition which Chinese government and the former you know, British government has agreed upon uh, many years ago. Uh, at the same time, uh, we we know that uh, there are serious concerns among the uh, people in Hong Kong. 
So their freedom of speeches and freedom of assembly uh, should always be uh, respected uh, by the Chinese government while allowing, allowing these uh, two, uh, two systems can uh, continuously be uh, upheld. You raise a very important point about the importance of Hong Kong to the economy, to global finance, for example. How should the international community respond to what we're seeing? The United States has perhaps threatened or could threaten to withdraw special trading privileges for Hong Kong. Is that the right or the wrong decision in your mind? This Hong Kong issue has become one of the very uh, serious points uh, in terms of uh, bilateral relationship between uh, United States and China. Uh, I also understand the deep concern by the United States, but at this time, it would be uh, advisable and definitely necessary that the uh, United States and uh, China instead of uh, raising uh, their political profile to, uh, uh, you know, bickering, political bickering on this issue, uh, should try to sit down together and try to address this issue in a mutually uh, agreeable uh, uh, solutions. Now, uh, there are many people around the world, many countries, in fact, are deeply concerned about a continuing political crisis and confrontation between two big powers, G1 and G2. Now, because of their strong concern, uh, now people say that there may be G0 instead of G1 and G2. Uh, therefore, it will be wise for both the United States and China uh, to uh, address this issue in a mutually agreeable uh, Way. It makes perfect sense, but I have to say COVID-19 and the fallout from that has only make, made those discussions and that relationship more conflicted. You've written recent op-eds saying that the, the COVID-19 handling has been a colossal collective failure of global leadership, and that's cost lives. Unfortunately, uh, I have to uh, say that uh, the global leadership uh, in a global scale has been uh, shamefully uh, absent at this time. The COVID-19 crisis is unprecedented, uh, at least since the uh, end of the Second World War. The humankind has never uh, experienced this kind of uh, global scale uh, pandemic at this time. Uh, therefore, there is not a single country in this world, United States and China and whoever, uh, can handle this uh, global pandemic challenges alone. We have to work together. All the resources and political will uh, should be exercised so that we can handle this issue and in a global scale. Unfortunately, at this time, China and the United States have been point, finger pointing each other, which really made the international multilateral system has been very much under uh, disarray. And this is exactly what I, re I really want and hope as a former Secretary General of the United Nations. We need to address uh, all the resources possible, first of all, to save human lives, 
there are many uh, people who have was who have died unnecessarily. More than one million people have been confirmed uh, contracted by this uh, coronavirus, and more than 500 million people, uh, 500,000 people have died. Therefore, I sincerely hope that uh, with the United States and United China sitting together, handle this matter more harmonious way uh, for the benefit and for humanity. Yes, one of the lines that stood out to me, you said to further politicize the current health emergency is not only immoral and irresponsible, it's almost criminal. I don't think it can perhaps be better said. But I do want to pull out something else that you said. Inequality is the root cause of every modern social disease, from poverty to terrorism. Mr. Ban, how do we rebuild in a better way? Whether it's the planet, whether it's putting people first, because I know you're very passionate about rebuilding in a better way. How do we do that? We must do everything possible to make this world much better, uh, much better uh, in in harmonizing and mobilizing all the resources and political will. Uh, this is the most unprecedented uh, crisis which humankind has ever uh, experienced now. Uh, therefore, there is no time to lose. You talk about green investment specifically, and we've had a taste of a better environment during lockdown. And as we re-engage and get economies restarted, we're seeing that slip away again. You're also very passionate about the need for making reinvestment green. We must understand why this coronavirus has hit humankind in such a way, complete lockdown all around the country, all around the world. This is because of uh, human beings degradating actions uh, in our ecology. And therefore, we must do all possible while trying to uh, resuscitate our economy uh, affected by the global uh, crisis. But at the same time, we should never forget that we should do much more and much better uh, to address the climate uh, crisis, which is happening much, much faster. All these uh, viruses will continue to happen again, we emerge, unless we take urgent action to make our uh, humankind, our ecological situation much, much greener. At this time, many countries have been pouring tremendous amount of money, uh, astronomical amount of money, a trillion dollars have been spent on this. At this time, we never uh, forget that um, the climate action should come first. Green economy, as well as uh, Green New Deals, have been all these uh, high priority uh, policies led by the United, United, I mean, the European Union and many countries, including uh, my own country, Republic of Korea. Yeah, it's such an important point. As much as we've provided money to supporters in the interim, we need to focus on the future too. Very quickly, sir, I want to ask you about North Korea. A very public display 
we saw a, a destroying of a building that was used for diplomacy between North Korea and South Korea. What do you think uh, Kim Jong-un was trying to achieve with this? And again, what should the response be? It was the most belligerent attitude by North Korea in recent history between uh, South and North Korea. While South Korean government has been doing utmost effort uh, to promote the better relationship between South and North Korea with um, comprehensive uh, reconciliatory um, uh, policies. The destruction of this uh, joint uh, liaison office, which is located in Kaesong, was a great uh, shock. It has given whole South Korean people and also a whole peace-loving uh, people around the world uh, very much uh, shocked. At this time, we need to uh, very carefully consider why this kind of uh, uh, situation has uh, happened now. During the last uh, 30 years at least, uh, many administrations in South Korea has been taking many different uh, reconciliatory uh, gestures. So like I have most to important you there because we have to take a break. My apologies. It's such an important subject and we will come back to it. Forgive me. Thank you again for uh, talking to us this morning. Fantastic to have you on the show. Ban Ki-moon speaking there. Thank you. All right, welcome back to First Move. U.S. stocks are open for trading this morning as the curtain rises on Wall Street's third quarter. And we're beginning with solid gains. Airlines and cruise line stocks are rallying. So is FedEx, which is out with strong Q4 results too before the bell as well. We got a strong reading on U.S. private sector jobs growth. Some 2.4 million jobs were added last month. Small businesses, in fact, making the biggest contributions to those hirings. The PPP program, the Paycheck Protection Scheme for small firms that Congress extended by one month yesterday has been pretty important for saving U.S. jobs, an estimated 16 million, according to Moody's. The fear, though, is that new lockdowns will undo a lot of this progress or at least stall it. The New York Fed says it's starting to see a slowing pace of recovery in states experiencing large-scale COVID-19 outbreaks. Hmm. All right, back now to our top story, the new security law imposed in Hong Kong by China and what implications there may be. Hong Kong's chief executive Carrie Lam says the law was necessary. It shows that the Hong Kong government, after a whole year of ceaseless escalating violence and riots, is determined to restore stability to Hong Kong. It shows the central government's determination to protect the absolute majority of lawful Hong Kong citizens from the harms done by a small minority of people who endanger national security. Isaac Chen was the vice chair of Hong Kong's pro-democracy movement, Demosisto, and he joins us now via Skype. Isaac, thank you so much for making time to talk to us today. Tell me how you're feeling in light of what we've seen in the last 24 uh, hours. Uh, actually, you can see a really chaotic and really fear movement in Hong Kong uh, spreading inside the Hong Kong society. And there is a thousand, hundred and thousand of Hong Kong people coming out to fight against this brutal regime. But actually, you can see that the national security law are start to execute by the police and the 
uh, 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 Hong Kong people just shout out long live Liverpool are being arrested because inciting Hong Kong independence and uh, reached the national security law bottom line. So, um, and also uh, 300 of people have been arrested for peaceful assembly. So you can see there is a huge restrictions of the Hong Kong civil rights and also the Hong Kong freedom in uh, this national security law passed. Isaac, you immediately disbanded the resistance group Demosisto because you recognised that it was flouting this new law that, that China's now imposed. Are you and your fellow protesters still willing to, to go out there and protest or are you now too frightened? Uh, actually, I can promise to every Hong Kong people that I will keep on fighting and keep on protesting, fighting against this brutal regime uh, of this Communist Party. But um, uh, actually, disbanding this organization is to protect uh, every of the organization members. And actually, uh, the Dambosis to do a lot of uh, international connection works in the past. Uh, so these uh, kind of works are actually maybe threatened every people's uh, personal security in the future after the national security law has been passed. So Isaac, what, you, what you're saying is you, you and your colleagues are still willing to go out there even if it means being sent to Beijing, to China somewhere and face prison, perhaps life imprisonment. You're, you're willing uh, to face that. Uh, I, 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 yes, actually, uh, in the past, there is a lot of Hong Kong people uh, in today are willing to come out and fight against the regime. And no matter under the threat of the national security law, they are willing to come out. So uh, I didn't think that uh, there is any reasonable reason for me to step down. Isaac, is there any point where you would consider leaving? I know the British government is working on perhaps allowing people with passports to come and, and live in the UK. Would you be willing to leave or will this fight continue no matter what? Uh, I will say that the fight will continue no matter what. And actually, uh, the BNOs have been upgraded by the British government. And this is an important lifeboat for the Hong Kong people. But I won't say that um, the Hong Kong people will be leaving because um, the Hong Kong people believe in ourselves and believe in our power, in, uh, no matter go out protesting or changing the governments in order to fight back uh, the things that we are earned to and also uh, actually the basic rights of uh, coming out for protest is are fundamental so uh, actually the government who are um, uh, overriding is the ones who are not reasonable so we won't step back isaac very quickly the chinese have said this is purely about preventing violent protests, that there were just a few people there that were creating violent protest and that was wrong. What's your response to that? Uh, definitely you can see that today there is a uh, marches and protests that no license approves. Every people knows that there is a risk of being prosecuted or arrested uh, during uh, joining this protest, but still 200,000 of people coming out for protest because of 
fighting against the national evil security law. So you can see that there is no one to incite the people to come out, but the people come out by themselves. And actually the movements is leaders and organizationless. So it's the people who are decided to come out, but not by anyone. Isaac, stay safe, please, and stay in touch with us. Let us know how you're doing. Isaac Chen, former vice chair of Demosisto. All right, we're going to take a break. But coming up, Etsy's valuation rockets as sellers respond to huge demand for face masks. But is that sustainable? We'll piece it all together with the CEO next. Stock in Etsy, the marketplace for craft and handmade goods, has tripled in value since March, driven by an explosion in demand for face coverings. Etsy went public on the Nasdaq five years ago and is in closed period right now, but in April it sold 12 million face masks globally. In the same period, non-mask sales, though, rose nearly 80%. There are over 65 million items on offer too. Josh Silverman is CEO of Etsy, and he joins us now. Josh, so you've seen an explosion of growth for face masks, but for non-mask products too. How sustainable is that, and how much was being bought by new customers, which I think is key here as well? Yeah, first of all, you know, our hearts go out to everyone that's been so impacted. Uh, Retail stores have had to close. Many even online places are having a hard time shipping products to customers. And this really highlights the power of cottage industry. There are over 2.7 million sellers on Etsy, and these are people who make products just for you. 87% of them are women. 91% are businesses of one working from home, and they can sell all over the world. And so there's a lot of people who weren't buying online at all before the pandemic who suddenly now are buying online. And so we are definitely seeing a lot of growth of brand new customers to Etsy. We're also seeing people who thought of us only for maybe one type of product or one purchase occasion who are now realizing that Etsy has a vast breadth of of supply and, and can meet many, many different purchase needs. It's such an important point as well to yours that this is supplementing people's incomes and your ratio of male to female um, sellers here is actually quite fascinating. My key question though is, is it sustainable? Because even if I go back 12 months, people were questioning whether this kind of business model, these kind of products really had growth potential. Are you saying this is sustainable now because people see the value? Of course, we won't know uh, for, for some time, but here's what I'm really encouraged by. People are having great experiences when they're buying on Etsy. What we see is that our sellers are doing a great job making high quality products, they're shipping on time, and buyers are delighted by the quality of product that they're receiving and also by the human connection with the person who actually made the product. So, you know, shopping behaviors are really habit driven. And there are very few times in your life when you really reconsider a habit. The the, the traditional ones are when you get married, when you buy a home and, and when you have a baby. And suddenly in this moment, Everyone needs to pause and think before they buy anything. Where can I go? Who might have that available? And in that pausing, those habits are broken. And Etsy is one of the places that I think many people think of. And so we have a chance now to reshape habits. And we're working really hard to communicate with buyers both on Etsy and through things like television commercials and advertisements uh, you know, online to make sure that buyers realize that Etsy is a great option and to reform those habits. 
supporting small business, particularly at this time, I think is absolutely critical, though there has been some criticism, I have to say, on, on social media of the fact that you take a cut of the shipping fees from the sellers, that you've raised the fees from sellers, that they have to use your payment system and, and not PayPal. What's your response to those sellers that are saying, hang on a second, you're taking our money, you're taking more of our money? Etsy is the highest value place for any seller to market. So for 20 cents, you can get a store up and running and sell all around the world. And Etsy's commission on sales is only 5%, which is far less than you'd see if you were marketing on any other marketplace or if you ran your own website and were having to pay for your own marketing. And so we feel great about the value that we're providing to sellers. And the proof is in the pudding. We've seen the number of sellers on Etsy grow very substantially over the past several years. Uh, and, and so what's important is that we're delivering great value for buyers and then delivering more and more buyers who are able to uh, deliver great value for our sellers. I also want to point out that uh, for the very small fee increases that we that we made, uh, we've committed to reinvest those in our sellers through things like more marketing. And so Etsy is investing tremendously right now to make sure that our sellers have the opportunity to really rise to this important occasion. Yeah, and that's important to understand. I mentioned your valuation as I was coming in. I'm sure you're not going to uh, comment on the uh, the share price, but your relative valuation now is higher than Amazon.com. It's higher than Alibaba. It's higher than eBay. It's even higher than JD.com. Josh, how do you feel about that? I think that uh, what 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 people are realizing is that the market opportunity for Etsy is is enormous. As the world becomes more commoditized and there's more things you can buy cheaply that will arrive immediately and you will have forgotten in three weeks. People crave for things that have meaning. Maybe you want to buy fewer things, but you want them to mean more. And there's an incredible array of things you can buy on Etsy. Almost everything you can buy anywhere else you can buy on Etsy. The difference is it will be made just for you and you'll have a personal connection with the person who actually made it. So every morning when you drink your cup of coffee, why not drink it in a mug that was made just for you so you can remember and think about that maker? Uh, I think people are craving that, and I think the market opportunity for that is is absolutely enormous, and I, I think people are realizing that. Meaningful. Making everything in our lives more meaningful. I like it. Josh, great to have you with us. Thank you so much for um, talking about your business and what you're doing. Josh Silverman there, the CEO of Etsy. All right, up next, a damning report finds Boeing withheld key information about the 737 MAX jet involved in two fatal crashes. We've got all the details next. Welcome back to First Move. A government report into Boeing's grounded 737 MAX jets has found that the company withheld key details about the plane's flight systems from regulators. The system has been implicated in two fatal crashes. Pete Montine joins us now. Pete, great to have you with us. What more do we know? Well, this damning report, Julia, comes at a critical time for Boeing, mm. especially since it's trying to show that the 737 MAX is safe to fly again. This comes on the day, the third day of test flights for Boeing, the third of three test flights, as it's trying to recertify the 737 MAX. It's been grounded since last March. This report from the Department of Transportation Inspector General essentially says that Boeing shielded the FAA from knowing everything it possibly could about the MCAS system, the maneuvering augmentation system 
that essentially led to the two fatal crashes of the Boeing 737 MAX. The most interesting part in all of this, it says that in 500 slides that Boeing presented to the FAA, there were only two lines that talked about the MCAS system. Boeing essentially downplaying the significance of this. The IG says that, it said, that Boeing said that this was essentially just a minor modification. Now, Boeing has said that it's leaning into this investigation, trying to provide the IG with all the information that it possibly can. It's also leaning into making significant changes to how it does business with the FAA, also saying that it's making changes to the 737 MAX and how it flies. The MCAS system no longer able, Boeing says, to overpower pilots and it would not automatically engage if there was a single sensor failure, which is what led to these two incidents. Even still, this has major implications for the entire aviation industry in general and for lawmakers who are looking at this report saying that there needs to be significant changes to how the FAA certification process takes place, something that has been very lengthy for a long time, something that has been very expensive for a long time. So real systemic changes possibly coming down the pike here, something that the industry does not welcome, more regulation on Boeing, more regulation on the industry wide. Julia? Yeah, so Pete, what, basically what we're saying is this is handing a whole load of leverage to lawmakers who want to shake up how the FAA goes about approving aircrafts. That's exactly right. And lawmakers are already saying that there needs to be changes uh, to this system, the coziness essentially between manufacturers like Boeing right. and the FAA. So we'll see how this plays out on Capitol Hill. Yeah, but a whole host of uh, further evidence provided, it seems, in this report. Pete, great to have you with us. Thank you so much for that. Pete Muntean there. All right, quick look at the U.S. markets and what we're seeing on the first trading day of a new quarter and the second half of the year. Relatively unchanged to the Dow holding in positive territory. Richard will be back with Quest Means Business in a few hours' time. But for now, that's it for the show. You've been watching First Move. Stay safe, guys, and I'll see you tomorrow. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.